If it is your first time here, welcome. My name's John, lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. We are continuing this series that we're in called More Like You. And what we've been doing is just devoting the entire summer to life change. Um, scripture says that when you become a Christian, or, or when you say yes to Jesus, as we like to put it here at this church, the Holy Spirit enters your life, takes up residence in your heart, and begins to work inside of you to change you to make you look more like Jesus, more like you. Now, the evidence of this life change, according to Scripture, is what is called the fruit of the Spirit. Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament, describes them like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And like I've been saying, the best way to kind of think about these characteristics is to think about them as though they are the characteristics of Christ. These are the qualities that Jesus would have exemplified or even personified when he walked this earth some 2,000 years ago. Now, while only God can produce these fruits in our lives, we have a responsibility to cultivate them and, and to work with him in that. And so what we're doing every single week is just diving into individual fruits, finding out what scripture has to say about them, and then learning how we can partner with God to cultivate these fruits and to implement these fruits in our daily lives. So today I want to turn our attention to, or is it goodness? Now here's the thing. When you look at Paul's fruit basket, let's call it, right? You could pretty much look at these and figure out kind of what each fruit is. Like love, all right, that makes sense. Joy, got it. Peace, not a problem. Pay, okay. Then you get to goodness. And you're kind of like, mm, all right, well, what is, good, what is goodness? We know what greatness is, right? So is goodness just a runner-up? It's kind of like when you become a Christian, you're not going to be great. You're going to be good, right? It's just kind of like, like, don't get crazy. So one of, the, one of the phrases you hear a lot, particularly in South Florida, is that someone is kind of living the good life, right? Living the good life, like a Jimmy Buffett song or a Tony Bennett song. Oh, the good life, right? So what, what is it? Gosh, love it. What is interesting about living the good life? is that living the good life looks different for everybody. Uh, there are some people that, that for them, living the good life means looking good, all right? And it's, you know, they're nipped, tucked, puffed, stuffed, or as I like to describe them, frighteningly attractive, right? It's like, I don't, am I attracted to you or am I scared of you? I'm not really sure. You've got a lot going on. So for them, it's, it's looking good, all right? Now for others, living the good life means feeling good. And whatever it takes they just, they got to they gotta feel good. And so maybe that's self-care. Maybe they got to go on vacations all the time. Maybe, maybe it's to the extreme and they dabble in, in drugs. I mean, there are some people that pursue pleasure at all costs. So for them, it's, it's feeling good. Others still, living the good life means having goods. And boy, is this a big one in Fort Lauderdale. It's cars, it's yachts, it's bags, it's watches. It's this desire to acquire runs deep in this town. For some, not all, but for some, the whole object of life is to earn money in order to spend that money on goods. The Bible, however, um, kind of presents a radically different version of what the good life is. According to Scripture, it's the good life is not about you know, looking good or feeling good or having goods. According to Scripture, living the good life means being good and doing good. That life is filled with goodness. There's our word. And when you are being good and when you are doing good, you're going to feel good. And you're going to start looking good too, or at least better. So what exactly is 
goodness. This, why does Paul, like what does he mean when he chooses this word to describe a particular fruit that we're going to be seeing in our lives? Well, in Genesis 1, very beginning of the Bible, the very beginning of the world, God creates the universe and everything in it, and he tells us that when he saw what he created, he said it was good. It was good. Why? Because what he created fulfilled the purpose for which it was created, which means that goodness is fulfilling a purpose. And God made you for a purpose. And when you live the way that God intended you to live, you will feel good. You will feel meaningful in your life. You, you will feel good because you're doing what God created you to do. So the big question is, all right, well, what is that good thing for which God made you? I don't know. Now, Paul tells us. He says this exactly in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do which means that we are not saved by our good works. Rather, we are saved for our good works. The Christian lifestyle is to be a lifestyle of goodness. Here's the problem. There's always a problem. Humans are not naturally good. It is not in our nature to, to, be, to be good. Now, what's so interesting is, is that the world finds this notion offensive. The world interestingly enough, wants to elevate humanity and, and speaks of, of the inherent goodness of people, right? not based on the footage that I've seen. But the problem is, is that the world confuses the ability to do some good things with inherent goodness. Right? They see people doing some good things and they, they confuse that as being inherently good. And scripture is clear, inherent goodness does not exist in humanity. The great prophet Isaiah said this, all of us are like sheep. We have wandered away from God. All of us have turned to our own ways. He's saying that all people want to do is just do their own thing. They want to walk away from God. Effectively, they want to be their own God. Additionally, Scripture says that inherent goodness does not exist in humanity. For everyone, it says, has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, there's something very important here that I want to point out to you, okay? Because the world likes to measure goodness, our goodness, based on other people. How we kind of stack up with other people. We kind of we know our standing based on what other people are doing. Like, for example, we measure athletes, you know, against one another. And likewise, we measure our goodness against one another. And we may say things like, well, you know, I'm no Mother Teresa, but I'm better than, you know, that guy over there or that girl over there. It is very easy to look good when, you're, when, you are sort of, when your standards are the people around you. But look at what Paul says. He tells us that our goodness is actually measured by God's glorious standard. That when we die and we stand before God, this is the standard by which every single human being shall be judged, not by how we stack up to other people. And Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, is the standard of measurement, and he is perfect, which means when we measure ourselves by Christ, we don't measure up. We fall short. Yet, right? And that's a big yet. In spite of all of that, it says, yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. How did he do it? He did it through Christ Jesus when he freed us 
from the penalty of our sins. What Paul is saying here is that God did not save us because of our inherent goodness. Rather, he saved us because of his kindness and his mercy, which means our goodness is a gift from God. Thanks to the saving work of Jesus Christ, God declared us good. Our goodness is a gift. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. We don't deserve it. When you said yes to Jesus, those of you who said yes to him in this room, God completely changed your nature. And when that life change happened, he not only gave you the desire to do good, but the power to do good. Look at how Paul puts it. He says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. By the grace of God, he recreated you as a good person. And then he gives us the ability to do the good deeds because he is our good father. So God has done his part by changing our nature. Now it's our turn to cooperate with his efforts and to cultivate the goodness that he's implanted in each and every single one of us. So what I want to do for the remainder of our time is I want to give you kind of four simple suggestions, if you will, that, that will help you begin to cultivate the goodness in your life. The first thing we want to do is we must become a student of God's word, okay? You got to read the Bible, all right, folks? You got to study it. I would encourage you to memorize portions of it so you can recall it in times of need. Now, here's the truth. There are only two sources in this world from which you can develop your values, the world and the word. And the choice is yours as to which one you're going to lean on. Now, Paul one day was writing a letter to a young pastor named Timothy, and he said this, the whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and helps us do what is right. And I love this next part. He says, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So, God created you to do good works, and then he has handed you an instruction manual as to how to do those good works. In week one of this series, if you were here for us, we, we kind of opened up by talking about what life ch you know, change looks like as a process for God, kind of what it looks like at a, at a macro level. And I hammered hard, hard, kind of the importance of reading the Bible. Now, when I stepped off stage that day, I kind of checked my phone as I always do. And there was a text message right there from one of my buddies. And he said this to me, hey, I need an app to read the Bible daily. And if it were small and simple, I, I would read that. Now, what I love about what he said to me is that he recognizes that, there, that the Bible was missing from his life. He had Jesus, right? He had faith in Jesus. He just didn't really have the Bible. And what I also love that he recognizes is that he needed help in achieving this goal. I, I need something small and simple. John, if you could help me find something small and simple, I, I think I can do that. I think I can really begin to read God's word. And so I gave him an app to do it, and away he went. Fast forward, last weekend, I ran into him at F45 at the gym that a bunch of us go to here in church. And he was telling me, he goes, hey, just so you know, I've actually been reading the Bible daily since you talked about it. But he then said this, I don't really like the way the app lays it out. They only give you a little bit of scripture each day. Here's why I love this. Remember what he asked for. I want something small and I want something simple. But now that he's reading scripture, 
He wants more. Right? There's, a, there's a hunger for God's word. But here's what I really love, and this is what I wanted you to see. He is actively trying to figure out what works best for him. Educators will tell you that everyone learns differently, which means you're going to have to figure out what works best for you when it comes to reading the scripture. That particular app that I gave him is hugely popular. Many of you probably have it. Didn't work for him. In the old church they used to work out, we would read the Bible in one year, and we kind of used what's called the one-year Bible. Maybe you've had this before. A little bit of New Testament each day, a little bit of Old Testament, uh, Proverbs, and a Psalm. People loved it. I hated it. (laughs) Just like I hated it. I remember talking to my boss one day, and I was complaining about it. I go, you know, you would never read Charles Dickens and read a paragraph from chapter 10 and a paragraph from chapter 1 and a sentence from chapter 3. It just, it didn't work for me, but it did for others. So more power to them. Bottom line, learn what works best for you and do it. And I get it, all right, we're all so busy. Okay, everybody's so busy. All right, we're all so busy. And yet we find time to devour Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, right? And TikTok and the news and Netflix. And yet there's just no time to get into God's word. Even if it means, listen, honestly, even if it means reading one verse and chewing on it and meditating on it and praying about it, get into God's word. We have to become students of God's word if we want to cultivate goodness in our life. Secondly, if you want to cultivate goodness, you got to guard your mind. Okay, you got, you got to learn how to control your thoughts. Sin always, always starts in the mind. Satan will plant an idea in your head called a temptation, and if you nurture those thoughts, they will begin to become visible in your life. James, the brother of Jesus, colorfully puts it like this. He goes, everyone is tempted by his own desires as they lure him away and trap him. He goes, then desire becomes pregnant and gives birth to sin. And when sin grows up, it gives birth to death. Meaning sin always starts in your mind, so you have to guard your mind. The interesting thing about the human body is that our stomachs actually have a natural filter. And so if you eat something rotten or whatever, you're going to get sick and you're going to get rid of it. That is the body protecting itself. Your mind, however, has no filter. It doesn't. There's no natural filter up here for your mind, which means that you actively have to guard your mind. And what I find so amazing is how careless we can sometimes be with what we just allow into our minds. Last week at church, literally last week at church, I was talking to one of my friends here. And she was saying to me, she goes, you know, John, my anxiety lately has just been through the roof. It's just like, ugh, not in a good place. It's just through the roof. And I said, what are you, you, know, what are you doing about it? You, are you talking to anybody? And she said, no, I'm, I'm reading scripture. Um, I'm praying a lot. And then she said something that I thought was brilliant and worth sharing. She said she stopped watching the news. She said, I didn't like what it was doing to me. I didn't like how it was making me feel. And the sad news about our news is that it's not really news anymore. Our news is specifically designed to elicit a response. And in my opinion, not DHE's opinion, in my opinion, I would argue that, let's call it uh, Republican news stations are trying to fire up Republicans, and you got your Democrat station trying to fire up Democrats. Why? Because it keeps us glued to the screen. 
there is something in our nature, and they know this, and they're capitalizing on it. There is something in our nature that somehow enjoys being angry. And we hate that feeling, and yet we can't stop watching. I turned off the news years ago, and I feel great. Well, not great, but better. Who feels great? I feel better, right? The wisest man who ever lived said, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Our thought life has a tremendous impact on how we live and how we feel. So you've got to be careful as to what you are letting in to your mind. So what are you listening with? What are you watching? What's the conversation like in your friend group? Is there gossip and slander? Like what? You ever hear a kid, like a little kid, say something fresh? And you're kind of like, well, where did they learn? Where did that come from? YouTube, TV. They heard, just like James said, they heard it, they thought about it, and then they acted on it. See, if you want to do good, you really need to think on good things. Paul gives us suggestions. He goes, look, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. If you want to do good, you have to be careful about what you give your attention to. So we want to study God's word. We want to guard our minds. Third, we want to cultivate goodness. We got to develop convictions, all right? Now, what is a conviction? The way that we've defined it in the past when we've kind of talked about convictions is a conviction is something you believe to be true and you're going to stand by. And you can even up the ante on this and you could say it's something you know to be true, all right? Now, do you know the difference between an opinion and a conviction? An opinion is something you hold. A conviction is something that holds you. An opinion is something you would argue about. A conviction is something you would suffer for. So let me ask you, what do you stand for? What do you stand for? What do you hold to be true? It is said that if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. I love that. As a culture, particularly here in America, we sort of now, as a society, elevate being open-minded, right? We elevate being open-minded, right? And being open-minded is great. It allows for conversation. It, really, it, it promotes growth sometimes. Here's the problem with being open-minded. Often in the pursuit of being open-minded, we end up denying the existence of absolute that there is a wrong, and that there is a right. And I would argue that it is possible to be open-minded and stand for something. Now, some of you might be surprised to learn that Christians are actually supposed to hate a couple of things. We always talk about loving everything in church. There's a couple of things that Christians are actually supposed to hate. Paul says, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Now, why are we to hate what is evil? But one reason is because of what evil does to people. It hurts and, and destroys them. And when you look at Jesus and how he lived his life, what becomes clear is that, that goodness means that you are to be standing for what is right and standing against for what is wrong. Okay? Jesus had no problem whatsoever calling sin, sin. He had absolutely no problem whatsoever calling sinners, sinners. And then he died for those sinners. 
Likewise, God wants us as his followers to have convictions both against sin and a compassion for people. In this pursuit of goodness, what you're going to find is that goodness really demands some courageous convictions. Taking stands against things like child abuse or, or corruption or moral issues. It is speaking out when you see evil perpetrated in this world. The great philosopher Edmund Burke once famously said, the, all that's necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. So, you've got to develop convictions. Now, let's not be naive, all right? Your, your convictions might not make you popular. If you stand for the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, you might get labeled a fanatic. You might get labeled a, a religious nut, maybe even a bigot. Single adults, when you, when you take a stand for purity in your life, you might feel ostracized sometimes. Students in the room, when you take a stand against underage drinking, you might get taunted at a party. I'm just saying scripture says that it's better to suffer for what is good than to suffer for what is evil. The reason God has called us to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good is because he loves us and wants us to have an abundant life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the fullest, and your convictions will determine your conduct. And it will act as a moral compass in your life, and it will help you make wise decisions. Now, on top of that, the reason that God wants us to hate what is evil is because God wants you, as followers of Jesus, to influence the evil world that he is sending us out into. Paul said that there is a time coming, and maybe we live in this time. I don't know the time that he was speaking about, but there's a time coming, he said, where people will love themselves, and they will love money, and they will brag, and they will be proud, and they will tear others down. They will tell lies about people. They will be out of control, and they will hate what is good. In a dark world, you need to stand for something. The great prophet Isaiah said, what sorrow, what sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. That dark is light and light is dark. God is calling you to take a stand and to develop some convictions in your life. Lastly, in our pursuit of goodness. We need to gather with fellow believers. If you want to do good, you must develop the habit, right? I'm gonna call it a habit of meeting regularly with other believers just like you're doing right now. You gotta make the decision to put everything else in your life on hold and say, I'm gonna give God one hour of my week to physically, to physically go to church and to physically be in the presence of other Christians. You might not be aware of this statistic. This is a wild stat. 87% of the Tri-County area does not go to church on Sunday. 87%. Now, during COVID, I got to kind of see why. You know, we had to shut church down in March of 2020. You remember this? And so what we had to do to kind of keep things going is we would film these messages on a Thursday, which would give Christina enough time to edit it and get it all ready and, and, and upload it so that we could watch it on Sunday, which means I had Sundays off. 
For the, for the first time in my life, I wasn't going to church on Sunday. I'm not going to lie. kind of liked it. It was nice. I said to my wife, I get, it why pe- I get it why people get out of the routine. I mean, this slept late, had two full days off to myself, freedom to do whatever I want. Well, not freedom. We were all locked down, but you know. Like, it was just like, ah, Sunday, ah, right? But after a month, I really miss church. And what's so interesting is that a study came out that, wait, do you see this? That said, if a person misses church for a month, odds are two to one, they won't go for more than a year. Look at that. If a person misses church for four weeks, odds are stacked against them that they won't make it back into those doors for more than a year, which is why we knew we had to reopen for corporate worship as soon as we possibly could because our spiritual lives depend on this gathering. Adam Duckworth, the volunteer coordinator, owns a travel agency. That's his, that's his job, which means he travels a lot, weekly sometimes. But when it comes to church, one of the things that he famously teaches and famously says is that if I am in, ch- if I am in town, I'm going to be at church. He'll say, if I am physically in the city of Fort Lauderdale, I will physically be in that building, worshiping and serving. And if you ask him why church attendance is so vitally important for him, he'll tell you that life change happens on a Sunday. God moves when we gather together. You know this. You feel this. But there's another reason. He will tell you that he wants his daughter to see with her own eyes that church is important for mom and dad. Parents in the room, your choice to attend church regularly plays a massive role in passing your faith down to your children. Studies show that if both mom and dad attend church regularly, 72% of children remain faithful in attendance. If only dad attends regularly, 55% of children remain faithful in attendance. Moms, listen up. If only mom attends regularly, 15% of children remain faithful in attendance. And if neither parent attends church regularly, 6% of children remain faithful in attendance. Those are sobering statistics. So parents, what kind of legacy are you living and leaving for your kids and for your grandkids? So if you want to do good, if you want to cultivate goodness, we got to make a commitment to gather together on Sundays. The author of Hebrews said this, let us help each other to love others and to do good. Now notice how it says, let us help each other. The Christian life is a team sport. It's a team sport. The Christian life was never meant to be lived out long-term behind a computer screen. Our fellowships on Sundays are designed to help us live good and godly lives. It's a place where we can see one another and lean on one another and pray for one another and encourage one another and love one another and serve one another. And most importantly, it is a place where we can worship God with one another, where we can give him a sacrifice of our time for all that he has done for us. So, author says, let us not stay away from church meetings. Some people are doing this all the time. Listen, this is not about me. I'll preach to an empty room. I've done it before, literally. This first year I preached to six people and they all worked here, okay? It just is. This is about you. 
This is, about, this is about your relationship with God and your pursuit of goodness. So, what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So today really was one gigantic practical. Scripture says that we as followers of Jesus must learn, that's what it says, we must learn to do good. And today we saw four ways to do just that. We saw verse after verse challenging us to live differently. So James, the brother of Jesus, would challenge each and every single one of you to do what God's teaching says. When you only listen and you do nothing, you're fooling yourself. Now this summer, we have devoted it to life change. And I really honestly believe and feel that God is doing something special here at DHC. And when I say that, I mean in your lives. I see it. I can feel it. And I just want to make sure that we are getting the most out of studying the fruit of the Spirit, that we don't just hear what God is saying about life change, that we actually do something with that knowledge. So, taking our cue from what James has said, here's my challenge to you. Make a commitment. Make a commitment to respond to one of God's challenges today. And it's going to be different for all of you. Maybe for you, you've got to make a commitment to read the Scripture. If you need a Bible... We have them here for you for free. They're at the coffee stand. Grab one. I would love nothing more than to see an empty box by the end of the day. Get into God's word any way. You, if you need help, come find me. I'll teach you. Let's get it done. Maybe for you, you've got to make a commitment to guard your mind. Maybe it's as simple as turning off that news. Maybe it's separating yourself from that, that, that friend group that just, that conversation is not fruitful, so to speak guard your mind. Maybe for you, you got to make a commitment to stand for something, to finally develop some convictions in your life, to, to stand up for someone or something, okay? To be bold in this world for God. And lastly, perhaps for you, maybe, maybe you got to make a commitment to gather together, to make church attendance a priority in your life. Now listen, if you're not in town, you're not in town, but like you, you, you really want to make this a, a priority. Don't come to church out of obligation. That's a terrible reason to come to church. Not out of guilt. That's a terrible reason to come to church, okay? I'm not here judging you if you don't come. People all the time, they apologize to me if they, if they miss church. Don't worry about me. I'm fine, okay? This is your spiritual life we're talking about. This is your relationship with God we're talking about here. I would challenge you to really think about what it would look like for you to give your heavenly father the sacrifice of your time. Paul says, so, let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessings if we don't give up. Remember, goodness is a fruit of the spirit. God is the only one that's going to produce that inside of you. yes. We have our part to do. But the only reason that we can do good and pursue good is because we have a good Father. So, as you pray about and mull over these challenges, make sure you rely on Him. Let me pray for you. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that we can come together today to gather in your presence as believers and those who are searching for more. God, you, you have said that you have created us to do good. And doing good means being good and following your lead. And I pray, Lord, that today you would challenge us. If there's an area in our life that we, can, that we can improve on, we pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength to do that. If it's reading your word, if it's changing the way that we think, Lord, if it's getting plugged into it, the, the local church, God, I pray that you would help us in those endeavors. Thank you, Lord, for recreating us in your image, in goodness. We ask all this in your name.